Thanks for tuning in. So glad you have found us. And especially if this is your first time, we want to say a special welcome to you. And so glad you have found us here. And would invite you to click on the digital connection card up in the corner or leave a comment here in the chat just who you are and maybe your email address and how we could pray for you. And if there's a question you might have that we could answer. And again, we certainly hope it's not your last time. So glad you are here. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and we're grateful too. And would invite you to use the same ways of communicating with us, either the connection card or leave a comment here in the chat of how we can uh, be of service. But together, we're grateful that we're here to worship today, and I'm excited for today. We are in our series called Unhindered, but we're going to take a little bit of a turn. Had a a wonderful conversation with a friend, Martin Welker, who has written a new book about his life story that recently came out. And I think it's very appropriate as we think about this idea of the gospel being unhindered, uh, as we look at the book of Acts and how in those days, even though it was complicated and you know, Paul, uh, as Luke writes about him, is in prison and yet uh, how God in thousands of years later has prospered the gospel to make a difference in the world. And so I'm excited for Martin to share his story. And I also want to share that I'm excited about the uh, Jericho Wall project that we've talked about. It took a real turn into reality this week. We've been looking at a blank wall uh, that didn't look very pretty and a parking lot that was all sort of a mess. Uh, but thanks to Hammett Asphalt here locally, uh, they rolled through earlier this week and laid down a beautiful top coat. And, and now it's being set up so they will be painting, I think, 27 different parking spaces. But then this allows now our team, uh, led by Luke Beekman, to bring our artists together to bring this wall into reality. And if you want to learn more about the wall, there's a link here in the worship notes, uh, JerichoWall.info, where you can uh, leave a name of someone that you'd like to give tribute to that has lost the the battle of addiction and to help uh, bring their memory uh, to reality for others as an encouragement and then also if you'd like to participate financially we'd invite you to be part of that as we look forward to uh, just the reality of this coming together it's been a concept that we've talked about for many months and it's cool to see just this next stage and so excited for that And then as we come to worship today, we come with an understanding that our God is an amazing God and how, yes, 2,000 years ago, he sent the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended and left us with all sorts of opportunities to bring the truth of the world and help connect those that are broken and disconnected to the saving hope of Jesus. We are in our seventh week on this series called Unhindered, and we're going to fast forward to today, uh, the idea that the church today is still unhindered and how God is working. And I'm excited to introduce you to a friend of mine, uh, Martin Welker. Martin has uh, produced a book about his life story, and I'm excited for him to share that story with you. It's amazing how, in his own story, he talks about growing up in the church, thanks to the faithfulness of his parents. In particular, I've had the pleasure of uh, knowing his dad, Jim Welker, for the last uh, eight, nine years since we've gotten connected. And just the encouragement that Jim has been. And so I'm excited that Martin can uh, leverage uh, all that his story is about. And so with no further ado, let's go to my conversation with Martin Welker. So I'm I'm grateful to welcome Martin Welker uh, through the medium of technology. So Martin has joined me on Zoom here today, and 
we're talking about this uh, this tome of his. I just shared with him, I think it's as big as Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America, but you said it was actually of biblical proportions. Does that yeah, right? Yeah. And I will my my son uh, ordered it on uh, Kindle, and they actually give a an estimated reading time, which is okay. Right. He said the reading time was uh, 12 hours, which <laughs> I, that, that's pretty fast reading, I thought. But okay. Uh, Order okay. than Anna Karenina, so that's good. Yeah, excellent. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I've got the pleasure to get to know you. Uh, I folks here know about your your father Jim, and and some actually can remember him uh, when he was a, a boy here uh, ages ago, and uh, and here you are now, sort of next generation. So I'm grateful to welcome you in. But tell us a little about you, and uh, just you know what, what what we need to know. Sure. Well, well, my dad grew up in, in Mansfield, his hometown. Uh, he remained in Ohio and uh, Springfield, Ohio became my hometown. And I'm a Buckeye, went to Ohio State. And I went into the Army ROTC uh, at Ohio State. One of my goals in life was I wanted to serve the country in the military. And, uh, and so a good part of my life, I, I'd say I had two careers in my life. The first career was as an Army officer. And as the military will do, moved me around quite a bit, a lot of experiences. I, I consider myself fortunate. I was able to participate in two wars, separate wars, and, and in combat, no less. And, uh, and that, those were key to my life. Uh, some of those two and a half miracles that I discuss in the book occurred during wartime environments, although not all of them. Um, of course, got, got married and, and had a couple of kids. My kids still live in Dayton, Ohio. My wife and I live... Uh, in Illinois, but just outside of St. Louis um, at the moment, about a six hour drive to visit our kids and grandkids. I was raised a Christian um, in Presbyterian churches, most part, that's where my dad's connection with, with your church, it was key to our my childhood family's uh, religious experience. And we, we had, I guess, attended church religiously. I remember every Sunday and, and praying before every dinner, my, my dad, Jim, praying. Um, but early on, uh, when still rather young, before a teenager, I began to have doubts. Um, I, I have a questioning, questioning analytical way about me. Um, so I uh, had doubts if there was a God, a lot of it to do with science. At a young age, I, I read some I read Darwin's Origin of Species, probably too young to really understand it, but the whole um, evolution thing. And I think that's probably the case with a lot of people. I thought, well, if, if evolution brought us here, is there really a God? I have, haven't seen God, haven't heard God. Uh, grew up, got a little older. I was a young, about a 15-year-old teenager in our Presbyterian church in Springfield. And the, the kids my age were, the, the, the pastor was taking us through a program to teach us about the Bible and the beliefs of Christianity and Presbyterian church. And at the end of which we were to go before the church and become members. And I, I had to finally lay it on the line and, and meet with them and said, I can't honestly go become a member. I can't honestly say I believe in God. This is too important a thing for me to, to lie about. Um, and, and this is key to why I wrote the book. He really, and I explained why I felt that way. Science, what I was learning in school, evolution, what I have not experienced seeing God. And he had no real response. Um, and uh, I was kind of disappointed. I was hoping he would con convince me otherwise. But I dropped out of the program. 
And, um, and that's why I wrote this book. Later on in my life, I became a Christian. I found that there was real solid evidence um, for believing in Christ and God. And I, uh, so I accepted Christ much later at age 38. Um, I was already married and had kids. Um, but, uh, and then uh, the miracle situation, my two and a half miracles, some actually kind of occurred before that, but after I accepted Christ, they just came pouring in. Um, I kind of, I kind of wonder a lot of people, maybe everybody has miracle if, if they look for them, if they are open to that possibility. But, uh, so in my book, I write about the miracle, why I believe what the good evidence is for belief and then the miracles that came. Hopefully I did that in a way to, to show how amazing these miracles are. And one chapter in my book, I talk, I'm really down on a lot of people's concept and use of the term miracle. I think it's overused. To me, a miracle really has to be something that pretty much only God could have done. It can't be something that happens in the natural world. So um, I'm strict to what I consider to be a miracle to be. My two miracles, I, I think, are, are no doubt even an atheist reading this book. And that's who I'm, I'm appealing to in the book, skeptics and atheists. I think if they read it and are honest with themselves, they would have to think it, have to come away thinking, yes, that is a miracle. So let me ask you that. So let me sort of the end in mind, you know, as people read this book, and it's available on Amazon, people can download it as a Kindle, or they can actually buy a physical copy. What do you hope people take away after having read your book? It depends on what who the person is when they go into it, when they begin reading. Okay. I I hope that pastors will will buy this book, read it, and, and like the pastor that I hoped would have convinced me to believe in God when I was a youngster, they'll have the book available, have read it, and say, so when they're approached by a skeptic or agnostic atheist, they'll reach behind them off the shelf, pull off this book, and say, you really need to read this. Uh, don't let it intimidate you, the link. And uh, there's some interesting war things in there. And and hopefully that will swift, be a tool to, br to bring people to Christ. Now, some uh, Christian church members, maybe they have doubts. I think that's pretty common now and then. Uh, so I'm hoping my explanation, the reasons for belief and, and my miracles can help those to be more solid in their belief. And maybe those folks Maybe they have a that uncle or somebody that you know they meet up at Christmas and or Thanksgiving and always argues about the existence of God with them. Maybe they can cut a deal with that person and say, uh, "Hey, try reading this book. You do that. I'll do something for. I'll mow your yard or something like that." And that might be a form of evangelism. Sure. And and quite honestly, I, I've looked at reviews of similar books about apologetics, and. And the, re the most in interesting reviews to me are done by the atheist. I'll, I'll give them this. They seem to read these books with a fine-tooth comb and it, because they want to burn them. <laughs> and then come back in a written review right. and say, why, why this is a, a bunch of bull. Um, but I hope those atheists uh, attempt that with my book because the, the critical comments they've made, I think I've pretty well addressed in my book. Um, so I, I kind of dare them. And I think they might be, be willing to pick up the mantle and give it a shot. Great. Well, let's go back to your, your combat experience as a soldier. I mean, how did that help shape 
where, where you find yourself today? I really liked being a, an army officer, uh, but I, I knew I didn't want to spend my whole life doing it. But I ended up staying in longer than I thought. I did a total of 12 years in the active army that, you know, you know, day, living on an army post day in, day out, doing army things. Then I got out and spent 16 years as an army reservist, which in later days um, it became, it wasn't just a weekend a month thing. It became more and more uh, of a commitment. So I, uh, I was a military intelligence officer. Again, returned to my analytical way of looking at things. I was, did often did investigations and inspections. And, and as I, uh, I joke, I had really interesting jobs that you hear about in military intelligence, the, the very top secret things in the buildings with, with no windows and all. But wow, wouldn't you know it, whenever a war came up, suddenly I was in the, the first one, I was in an armored unit with a bunch of tanks. The first war being Operation Desert Storm. The second war being the Iraq War, uh, what I call the Second Iraq War, and uh, and then I'm in an infantry unit training Iraqi and Iraqi infantry unit while they conduct their operations. Yeah, I met a lot of great people in the military. It's, it was it's, it's a good way of life, and uh, and like it had the uh, some hairy times, not not compared to all. Um, thank God, I, I'm in one piece. You know, right. I, I was never wounded, came close to it, but that, that, especially in one time, that might be one of those miracles. Uh, it was just unbelievable that no harm came to me. Right. Well, let's talk about the miracles. So the idea, the title of the book is Two and a Half Miracles. What, uh, just to tease people out a little bit, and maybe you want them to read the book, but maybe to give some context of what is it. And then even the the uh, the sort of the subtitle, if you will, is the you know, memoir of a Christian apologist without apology. So maybe we can we'll talk about that second part here. I went to a Desert Storm, and at uh, a key point in the battle, and, and my I was in a tank unit. We were in four different battles, and and the last of which, uh, going way back, this was 1991. We were against the final goal was to take on Saddam Hussein's elite. Republican Guard force with his the best Soviet tanks that were available, and we weren't sure how we'd do. But but anyway, we did really well. So at a key point in the battle, um, we just won. The war was coming to an end. We were all ecstatic because for, for months for the buildup, as we uh, I was stationed in Germany before then, and we loaded up everything on ships and flew down there, meet up with our tanks and trained and whatnot. You're always you and your family are always worried. Like, how's this going to work out? Uh, our last war had been I don't know 15 years prior, Vietnam. Uh, so we didn't have vet, war veterans in our unit, whereas the Iraqi forces they've been fighting Iran for quite some time, and they had veterans. So, so it, now you know, we, looking back, it looks like oh no problem, but we didn't know that going in. And uh, so anyway, at the uh, at the end of the war, a key moment in a key location, God spoke to me, just, just like that. I'm not sure whether I should tell you tell you what He said, but He He just a one sentence. I had no doubt about it, and it was like wow, um, and I didn't know how to take it. Uh, there was no one around me that could hear it as well, but I thought that is something. I I don't know. Oh, I, I let me just throw back back when I did not accept Christ as a, um, this is, this is important. As a teenager, I did begin praying nightly 
every night for God, please show me that you exist. I want to believe in you, but I need proof. I considered myself and still do a, a doubting Thomas. Um, I know we're supposed to come through faith. That's what, what Jesus wants, but I wouldn't cut out that way. I, I needed proof. So I've been praying for all those years. And uh, you know, let's see, I was about 31 years old uh, when God spoke to me. He told me something that would happen in the future. It wasn't just, hey, hey, Martin, I'm here. Um, that would have been okay. But he told me something that would happen that was totally almost impossible. Like, how could that possibly happen? Many years later, and in fact, my second miracle happens after that. Um, and, but many years later, that first beginning of the first miracle where God speaks to me, it comes to fruition in an amazing way. And I won't say exactly, but it is like, and that happens. I said, my gosh, I can't believe it. Um, so that's the first miracle. These miracles, they don't, they're not a list like a, a bullet list, like this happened and this happened. It, it, they take some context. And, and that's in right. the book, I have to explain what leads, right. what makes them so miraculously. The second miracle, God showed that he, uh, he knew me, uh, my interest. I, I'm an outdoor guy uh, with my dad in Ohio. We grew up hunting, fishing. We even went trapping, do all that stuff. And, and so many more bike riding, hiking. I, I have a sail, a tiny sailboat I take out, but I've, I've always been interested in nature. When I went to Ohio State, I first started to, uh, first major was wildlife biology or animal science. I wanted to be one of those guys like you'd see on TV shows that, you know, uh, tranquilize a moose and put right. a tracking collar on them and wrestle them to the ground and then follow them. And, and so, so God showed the second miracle as odd as it sounds, he showed that I was not right with him by having a one of his creation come and enter my life, and that was snakes. I, uh, I'm not really afraid of snakes. They're not my favorite of, of God's animals, but, um, but they appeared again and again in my life mm. in, in such unlikely situations. And when I accepted Christ, he let me know again with a snake, an incident that he, uh, the whole, in the guise of the Holy Spirit, I suppose, let me know that things have changed. And, and I felt it uh, about the Holy Spirit. When I, when I decided, yeah, I, I now believe in God, I'm going to church next Sunday and I'm going to go at that altar call. I was a, a Baptist church we were attending at the time. Uh, I was going to go to God. And it, it was just like mere days before that, um, the snake entered my life again, um, and, and how it, it, the snake entered, what happened to that snake, I, I'm sure was a miracle. And, uh, and there are other instances, and I admit in my book, okay, some of you might not buy this snake thing as being miraculous, but I continue with other incidents with snake, snakes in my life that they were always used as a harbinger of something bad that was happen, about to happen until later, uh, I think through prayer. Yeah. I, I, I told God, I'm God, I'm, I'm tired of these snakes. You know, whenever it got to the point, whenever I'd see one, something bad was about to happen to me or a family member. Right. It, it was like clockwork. And, mm -hmm. and I finally, had, I don't know why it took so long. I prayed, God, please. I just want a snake to be a snake. 
I don't like worrying. For instance, I would see a snake in a situation and I think, oh, in two days, I'm taking a business trip and flying an airplane and uh, not have to worry. And the miracle, he took care of that and showed me how he took care of that. We can talk about, you know, what are the challenges? So here you've got this life story and all of us, you know, we, if we would take a moment, the truth is we all have a story to tell. Uh, but the pursuit that you took, and I've known you for a couple of years now, as you've been in this pursuit of, you know, how do you do this? And, you know, how do you find a publisher? And then finally, how do you get it to be in print and just all the things you've leaned into? And so just talk a little bit about that, because I think as we talk about uh, trying to be a faithful follower of Jesus, we're all called to be, as I said, as we were talking before we started recording, is as we've looked at this series called Unhindered. And how Jesus, you know, leaves, uh, you know, with the ascension. But before he goes, he reminds us that we sort of have a task with the Great Commission as we go along, so to speak, that we're supposed to, you know, bring the gospel. We're supposed to teach people about Jesus and then baptize them into the faith. And so, okay, make it really practical and granular here. It's like, okay, you have this pursuit story to tell that you really think others need to know. And so just talk a little bit about what is it, what is that? You know, what are the challenges of being a, an author, of bringing your story to print? Yeah. Well, I tell you, uh, speaking of challenges, there's one I want to mention is that I loved reading as a kid. Um, so I thought I was a good reader. But in grade school, I remember a, a notice was given to my parents saying, your, your little Martin is what we call a slow reader. Oh. Um, like I... I where you read something a certain amount of time, answer questions, I would fail those tests, I suppose. And I even thought, how can this be? I spend so much of the day reading books. So I love books. Always wonder if I could write one, but that would kind of indicate, well, Martin, maybe you can't. And, and through this whole process, I, I'd always struggled with the, um, I think it was Paul that says that we're, we're made, God makes us strong through our weakness, something mm -hmm. to that effect. So I was weak in uh, maybe understanding the written word and whatnot, but yet I was made strong by being able to write this book. Um, so I had my uh, military experiences, the the uh, the miracles, and I began to think way back, like, wow, this is something. I and, and I knew as a Christian you should evangelize, spread the word. I, I said, and I gradually realized I, I think God has given me these things so I can tell others. It's not just for me and to, to say, how, wow, how lucky I am, um, but to tell others. And maybe it could be of use to them. Um, so God, about 10 years ago, I first started to sit down, maybe on a day off from work, and to organize my thoughts, to outline the book. Did quite a bit of research, and, and that included, I, I read atheist uh books. The, the God Delusion by Richard Dawkins was, was a big one. I, I wanted to know what they, I already knew having been an agnostic, what, why I didn't believe in the past. I wanted to see what the, the best of the best, so to speak, of among the atheists, what they thought and address those. Since people, uh, their books were, were big sellers and people seemed to be buying off on what they had to sell. Um, so I worked on it here and there, but I retired four years ago uh, at age 60. And immediately I sat down and really began writing this book in earnest, um, taking all my notes. It was funny. I, I'd so long, I'd handwritten some notes and 
and uh, an outline 10 years ago when I actually pulled those out, but the, the ink had actually faded. Oh, goodness. That, that it was difficult to see. Right. So I, I, it, it became my job after retirement for, for three years. I really hit it hard writing this book. Um, so about a year ago from today, I was finally considering myself done. I proofread it, get, given it to some proofreaders even. And then, wow, now I can get back and relax. Little did I know that the challenges of just getting a book published, it's, it was really difficult. I, I thought the hard part was over. <laughs> I, I began, I, I attended some writers group meetings, right. other people, so, some who just hoped to write someday. Others had actually written books. So I learned from them. And, um, and a lot of people nowadays end up self-publishing. In, in the end, that's what I did. But uh, I started at the top the big name publishing houses because I, I want I want this book to be read by as many people as possible and the big publishing houses they help advertise your book you know so they know how to do that better than I do um, but they weren't interested um, a few would reply back say well people really aren't really into the, the religious thing at this time and uh, but uh, so then I went with there's a religious publishing houses and, and that didn't go so well either. I don't know. I got some, that was disconcerting. Um, some said, well, if you know, you know, give us this money up top, we'll, we'll make it, it I forget what they call heritage or something like that. They'll print off so many copies that you can have and sell on your own. And finally, I met a pastor, let's see, through, through the writing group, met a Christian lady whose daughter wrote a book with help from a local pastor. Mike Owens is his name in the, the East St. Louis area. And I got in touch with him and I hit my book being, he had written a few books, self-published on Amazon, gone in. He knew the, the software and how to enter both. There's the inside of the book that you read, but also the cover and the art and all that. So for a fee and a very reasonable one, he was able to do all that stuff that it would have taken me much longer to work through after many mistakes. And uh, he, he was very good. He read, read portions of my book. Or he felt strongly about it too, which I was really happy. I was always concerned, okay, I like this book, but will pastors think as well as this is a little controversial? Uh, maybe I have a different aspect that doesn't pass their belief. And that, he, that process took maybe five months He's busy. Of course, he's a, he's a pastor. He's kind of doing this on the side. And but that and the the artist person, the uh, actually they, this was kind of redone. You can find many images on the uh, on the, the Internet, but you have to pay money for those. Right. And you get been in trouble if you don't. So I gave her the concept and she came up with that. And we've been happy with it. And you go back and forth and look at the book. Well, no, you put too many pages. Uh, spaces here. I didn't want that. I prefer this type of bullet, uh, right. this type of font. And right. so that was the process. Yeah. Well, go back to that, that image on the front, unpack a little bit, you know, why, why that particular image, what was it that captured in your mind, uh, how that communicates the title and what the book's about? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Um, in, in reading and going to writer's group meetings, they said, you know, have the cover image be something to do with what your book's about. And, and generally what this is, is St. George killing, slaying the dragon, which is a myth, <laughs> out of it, but it's an interesting story and an interesting image. 
and there is a definite connection to me and my, uh, as I mentioned, with snakes the that were a symbol of evil, like that that serpent. And I intentionally intentionally had this dragon be as much serpent-like as possible. Um, and, and I'll throw it again. You know, I mentioned the snake. You know, Satan is known as various form as that old serpent and right. uh, the deceiver to. Adam and Eve, and, and in the uh, in Revelation, and and sin again is uh, Jesus returned to the Pharisees and Sadducees as as vipers, I, I believe is what he said. Right. Yep. So what that is, so it shows slaying slaying this sin in my life, which happened, and I will throw out the the reason the uh, the horse is white that it ha has some reference to to what happens in my, in my life too. But and I really liked, I wanted a cross to, uh, to really show up well. So I wanted as much black and white, kind of a stark black and white, but then have that bright cross. Reminds me, as, as I look at it there, also my subtitle, The Memoir of a Christian Apologist right. Without Apology. Um, I, I have a hard edge to my belief. I, you know, I know Christians were to be loving to everybody and all that. I consider myself a Christian apologist because um, I looked for all the, the information, the data to come to accept Christ. But I, I gotta admit, I get a little little tired maybe of the, the atheist and the and their attacks against Christianity. And I think with them, and I explain in my book, it's not so much they just think differently. I, I think I think on the inside they actually do believe in God, mm. but there's some anger there. Uh, and it comes from different sources. And that anger comes out in, in their comments as they uh, debate or, or argue with Christians. So I kind of bring it back at them and uh in a nice way <laughs> i try to be kind of fun and i, I intended to be humorous with without apology like i'm not apologizing about this i'm not gonna back down just to sort of pull the thoughts together i mean just your whole story of where you know you you, you talk about how growing up in the church and at some point coming to a point of of faith or being you know asked that question joining the church is we would do in our tradition and sort of sort of a, going through confirmation if it was at that time of you know what the doctrines are of the church and and I think especially living today you know I, I think a lot of people are struggling with just the reality of of church and church hurt and just all sorts of things that it's just such a messy time and so when you look at you know, sort of the helicopter view or sometimes even it's it's we have to go a little higher up maybe the thirty thousand foot view to look at your life as a timeline of just how God worked, you know, how, what would be your advice or what would be your counsel to someone who's struggling with their faith? Because I think your story reminds me of the story of Joseph in some regards. And, you know, it takes 40 years for him to really find his place. Yours wasn't quite that long, but the idea of being introduced into, and I think even being able to question, I think, you know, Christianity at a point years ago was we don't question any of it. But I think today, you know, even the idea that our, our faith is a reasonable faith, it's a historical faith, it's a faith that we can defend, you know, even your term apology. I mean, it's not making an apology in the sense of I'm sorry, but it's really saying, no, there is a reasonableness to our faith. And if you lean into that, you can eventually, and I'm going to guess even the idea of having gone through, you know, two different deployments an active war. I mean, they talk about foxhole conversions, right? How those things can challenge you in a whole way. But how how cool is all of that? And, and I guess really the idea is, 
in our conversation here as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit and to be reminded too, and just to set the, the context is that word unhindered that I'm using in the series comes from the very last words of the book of Acts. And we find Paul, who's just not too long after those words are penned about his life, is going to be put to death. And yet the word about the gospel is it's unhindered. And so even though it's messy and Paul's in prison and life is, doesn't seem to be working in the moment, there is this faithfulness of God. And so all that to say, if a person's struggling with their faith, what would be the counsel or what words would you offer them as they walk in their journey? In my case, and I'm, and I'm sure for other situations, it is a kind of a long slog <laughs> you go, going through life that you, maybe you don't understand it till later on and you look back and just kind of and the pieces all seem to a fit, although you didn't know it at the time. I I jokingly say in my book, use me, use my experience. I, I've gone through all this and I've, I've I've made it easy for you, reader. Read what <laughs> I've done. My 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 evidentiary reasons for believing in Christ and my miracles. Read rather than wait for them to happen to you, just kind of cut to the head of the line, read from the book. And hopefully that can solve a lot of your doubts there. Just being faithful to the task, right? And, you know, realizing too, you know, you can, as you do go, oh, I can see how God's hand was, even the idea of presenting you with those questions at age 17, right? It's like, or whenever yeah. it was, it's like wrestling through those. But I also think it's about God's faithfulness. And then again, if you, as the book lays out, just how God you know, showed up in so many different ways. And I couldn't help but think when you talked about snakes, uh, you, you and Indiana Jones, right? With It's like, really? <laughs> All the things, it has to be snakes. <laughs> and, and yet the great metaphor that is, and even in the most recent, I've seen the fifth edition of uh, Indiana Jones, but there's actually, a, that, that storyline continues through because I think it's, we need to be reminded that there's always something that, that's in our life that God takes us back through and you know he, he wants us to trust him. And that idea, I think I really love the idea that your hands are open and and invi invite people into that conversation. So so I'm grateful. I'm grateful to the fact that you've been faithful to writing the book. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful, too, for our time together here. We're just unpack it a little bit more. And truth is, there's all sorts of other questions I have. And maybe that we can have another dialogue in the, the days ahead, because just thinking about the scientific evidence uh, that uh, you know, about our, our religious understanding, our faith understanding. Again, the idea that our faith is reasonable, that how we think about those things. So, yeah. Any th final thoughts? I, I, you remind me of one thing. I, I, and I mentioned that I continued to pray every night until, until I've accepted Christ and, of course, beyond. But um, also, so if someone has doubts, you know, not sure if they should really believe this Christian stuff or not. I went to church, still go to church. I mean, and I in my and to learn. And in my Sunday school classes, I admit I, I have doubts. And and I had a family, and we went to church to, mostly because because of my parents. It was the family thing to do. Sure. You take your kids and your wife, and you all go to church as a family. And so anybody should do that. Thank you. Thanks uh, for being faithful. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks for allowing this conversation today, making time for it, and I'm I'm excited for what the book can produce. And we invite people to. Yeah, go to amazon.com. You can find the book there. Just search for Martin Welker. I'll put a link here in the sermon notes and in the worship notes so folks want to find it. And uh, hopefully they'll enjoy it and leave a review, right? If they do read it. Uh, leave oh, it. please. I, I didn't. That's another thing I learned. I, I assume 
they would become swamping in, but that uh, reviews I, help. Good well, or bad. I, I owe you one. I, I read it as on the USB drive and I, I actually want to sit down and crack the book itself. I've looked through a few of the pages. I appreciate the photos you included. Um, so just to give, uh, you know, an, an, a face to the name. And so thank you. Yeah. I mentioned your church. I, I mean, the key history it has in my family's church attendance. So I uh, appreciate that. Well, we're grateful for, I'm grateful for your dad and just his encouragement, uh, especially over the last number of years as we, as we talk a couple times a month, just, you know, how's the church doing? And he reminds me of just how he got connected. And so I'm grateful that, you know, God's still working and I'm excited about what our next season might be. And so I'm grateful that we can uh, you know, and share this story together. So just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it, uh, Pastor Tom. Thank you. All right. Great. Blessings. I'm so grateful for Martin's story. I hope you were encouraged. I'm also grateful for his dad, Jim, who has been a true confidant uh, as I've gotten to know him over the years. I reached out to him after getting a note some eight years ago from him, just in passing, and we've become good friends. And so grateful for just his uh, wise counsel and for his faithfulness and even the memories of what it was like to grow up here in Mansfield and in a church like Linden Road. And so grateful for just all that God is doing through his family now, through his son Martin, and even what this book uh, can, can offer to others is a way uh, in a season where I think lots of folks are asking questions. And so I think Martin's uh, efforts are going to be well received in a season when things still seem a little upside down. But let's uh, take a moment and pray. God, we are grateful uh, for the fact that you continue to work. Uh, we're grateful for the stories that we've read these many weeks out of the book of Acts and what you did then and what you continue to do. And so I, I just thank you for Martin's story and your favor on his efforts that this book, as it's been published, can now be an encouragement to all sorts of new people. And we just pray that it would uh, find traction with those that are far from you, those that know that there's things that they're wrestling through, and just pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to guide people to that. And we're just grateful for the faithfulness of each generation that goes before us. And thank you for your love and faithfulness in all things. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.